listening to the Human Care Podcast, part of the Invisible Not Broken Podcast Network. I'm your host, Eva Minkoff. On this show, I have candid conversations with chronic illness warriors and insightful practitioners who are redefining what it means to be human when faced with health challenges. I'm also the founder of Wellacopia, the matching site for healthcare relationships. We connect chronic illness wellness seekers with integrative providers best suited to be their partners in care. To match with your dream doctor, therapist, nutritionist, acupuncturist, chiropractor, and more, visit wellacopia.com. Today's episode is part two with Jay Berger. This time we discuss how to adapt to those changes we talked about in part one. Again, Jay has been working as a physical therapist for over 20 years with patients of all sorts, like those suffering from chronic pain, cardiopulmonary issues, autoimmune diseases, uh, fibromyalgia, RA, MS, severe OA, progressive neurological diseases, and a lot of other comorbidities. In part two of our conversation, Jay and I continue to explore our new world since COVID-19, including what we can do now to feel better physically and emotionally, how we can be in touch with our bodies, and how we can conserve energy by tailoring our efforts to our individual lives. Again, before we get started, a reminder that all conversations and health claims on this podcast are based on individual experiences and expertise. Everyone has their own personal and professional truths and should be treated as such. Okay, let's get started. Right now, uh, whether we need physical therapy for very particular conditions or not, it's really important that we are all being uh, taking care of ourselves physically and psychologically. And I wanted to know what you thought, what, any tips that you have, any practices that you have that we can take on um, right now and um, individually, but also things maybe we should look into for remote tele. Uh, remote physical therapy or occupational therapy? Well, I think um, a couple things. One is um, we are isolated in our homes, but that doesn't mean we can't move. Um, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't continue to exercise. Um, exercise has physiologic benefits and psychological benefits. And there's a lot that goes on with exercise that is beneficial. And even people with chronic pain and stage four COPD benefit from exercise. It may need to be, you may need to have some clinician who is experienced in helping you identify how to do that safely and correctly. But that said, we should all still be moving in whatever way we can, even if you're wheelchair bound, there's lots of exercises you can do in the chair that'll get your heart rate going pretty quickly and um, make you feel better. Um, we should still be getting out if we can. Um, it's a pretty time of the year for us on the East Coast and West Coast. I don't know if this goes overseas. I don't know the weather overseas, but I know um, there's still a lot of really pretty days. And, and although there's some horrible things going on and it's sad and surreal, and uh, you know, we, I can't even imagine what some people are experiencing both clinically and um, privately, there's still a lot of beauty in the world. And I think we need to balance that. And I, you know, I'm not 
going to stand on a soapbox and say that because I can be just as much as anybody else fixated on something that's really terrible. But I think it's really important to try to pull out from yourself a little bit and look at the world around you. And, you know, there's a saying, there's always somebody worse. Well, yeah, there is actually. Um, and we're fortunate to live in this country, particularly where healthcare is really good and where we have compassionate um, human beings that want to help out and whatnot. But the other thing is that there are lots of things online and, and what we're trying to build in our platform is a lot more things online catered to particular groups. So, you know, you don't want to just follow the generic program for yoga if you are somebody who has chronic disease processes. Because it's yes, for sure. Right. But but they do, but you can have somebody just say, okay, just do this. And if you can't do that, do this you know, and have just like three ranges, you have to come up with modifications and you have to be able to look at that person and say, is this working for that person? Because what's the point of doing it if it's not gonna help you, right? And a lot of uh, programs have gone to this, I call them this Uber. I, you know, when I did step therapy, I, when I did step um, exercise years ago, was it step training? I forgot what it's called. It used to be called step training, I think, that you would get on and you would do these um, modifications and exercises by stepping on a, a platform and back off again. I, for some reason, the name escapes me right now. But anyway, it was an exercise program. It was really a lot of fun. It was a lot of fluidity to it and everything. I went back to doing it and it was, it was, it was militant. It was like, you know, how fast can I move? And it was absolutely ridiculous. And I got nothing out of it and I left. But I, as a clinician, knew that this wasn't right and that this was gonna cause injury and it wasn't meaning that I wasn't gonna do well. But a lot of people don't. And so they're just doing what they think the person who does know is telling them. And I think there needs to be even more platforms out there for people to do either group or follow. I mean, so it could be a live thing that you follow and you have, in, you have some interaction between the clinician or the practitioner and you. And there can be some that are just group where you kind of know, okay, well, these kind of people that have these kind of issues should try this kind of activity and they should do it at this intensity and this many um, versus somebody else. And I think that telehealth will help to provide that to people to allow them to tap into prevention programs and wellness programs and um, holistic programs to integrate with the traditional medicine aspects because I give yoga to most of my clients um, and they call it, I don't know as much about Tai Chi, but I mean, a lot of people use Tai Chi, but I use yoga because it provides so many different things, but it's not medicine. It's just, I just show you techniques that you should use. And I'd like to see more of that um, unless, you know, we're all, well, we're all Jennifer Aniston and we can all do this and we all have this time and we all have this money and, and food, you know, we have realistic situations and we have to cater them to that. And what are, what are some things that we can do now at home? Uh, one would be uh, gentle stretching is good for everybody. Um, even if you're hypermobile, um, you still want to stretch certain muscles you want to be careful not to overstretch them, mm. but you you typically don't have hypermobility at 
everywhere, you, you still need to stretch out so that your posture is correct. It may be small and gentle and it may not be, um, it's not gonna be necessarily a joint stretch, but it's a postural stretch to make sure that you're well aligned so that your joints are working properly. Um, I think the fact that we need to just physically maybe walk if we can walk or uh, wheel our wheelchair if we can't do that um, and just move. Um, it would be good to get into a regular routine of doing that instead of the guilt routine of, oh my God, I gotta do this. <laughs> right, right, right. That's actually, I find that to be really key in all of this is there are these things we could or should whatever be doing, but the guilt is, is driving people crazy right now. Those who are being, uh, you know, especially on paper, really productive mm -hmm. uh, versus those who are feeling like, I don't really wanna move or do anything. Um, well, I think it's good to take a half hour or whatever that you would have commuted to work and take that for yourself, you know, put that into your day and say, okay, well, at about 7.30, 8 o'clock, I would probably be going to work. So I can't do what I want to do. Well, now I can. So at 7.30 in the morning or 4.30 in the afternoon, if you're an afternoon person, I'm going to take that half hour for myself and do something so I can feel better you know, physically and emotionally. And I'm going to structure my day that I did it. And that will actually make you feel good too, because you'll have a sense of fulfillment that you actually did what you wanted to do. So there's that aspect too. But I think the fact that we are um, spending a lot of time on social media and posting all these things and whatever about stuff and reading and doing all stuff's great to a point. <laughs> but because everybody's home doing social media, I think people are just sitting around and just posting and posting and you know, topping each other in jokes and this, that, and the other, or sharing stories when we should be out experiencing life. Yeah. <laughs> and you can experience life even if you don't live, leave your room. I think it's, it's like getting, um, so something I've been doing for a while now, but especially during the quarantine period is getting in touch with my body in the mornings. It's like the first thing I do, whether it mean an actual workout or stretching or yoga or whatever, but I just, like that's my way of experiencing life is actually my physical body mm -hmm. and saying like, Hey, what do you need this morning? What are you experiencing this morning? What are you? Well, and I think with chronic illness, most people are not in touch with their body. Any type of chronic illness, most Here. people lose that connection really fast. And so one of the things that you do as a clinician is hopefully help them assess themselves accurately so that they don't, overextend themselves or underextend themselves and that they take risks that are appropriate. But most people that I found with chronic illness have difficulty. There's a mismatch between the body and the brain in terms of, you know, the perception and the reality, or sometimes it's, it's, it's really bad is that they overdo things because they're like, they feel that they should do it them, the should thing, even though their body's saying, no, 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 don't do this. You know? You shouldn't be doing this. And they're making themselves worse without realizing that they're making themselves worse because they're trying to put themselves in a model that doesn't fit them. I think in general, our relationships to our bodies are just, just different than, than the average person who, the average person, so many of us have chronic illnesses. I can't even say like the average person. Um, but the relation, I know that I've talked about getting this in touch with my body before to people with, with uh, chronic pain conditions 
and they voice that they actually try, do their best to not do that because their the, their pain has, uh, I mean, well, frankly, traumatized them. It's like, I don't want to be in touch with my body. My body has betrayed me, uh, which, I mean, it's not like I don't feel that way. It's my personal approach has been getting to know my body so I can be its friend and support it even when it sucks and it's, it's you know, waking up in lots of pain and whatnot. Um, but I understand how that can be a very difficult hurdle for, for people. It, it is, but it's an important thing because you can't treat pain if people aren't in touch with themselves. Yeah. And, and you can't help them help themselves if they can't identify that they need to do something for themselves. So if you ignore it, you just make it worse. It, it seems like it wouldn't be, but you really do make it worse because you're not doing the things that you could be doing to help make it better. And maybe it won't be better down to a zero or a two, but if you're living at a, an eight or a nine, maybe it'd be better to bring it to a five, you know, and keep it at a five for the most part. Yeah, well, I mean, think about it in terms of uh, um, psychological therapy or dealing with things emotionally, it's the same. It's like, you can't really heal emotionally if you're not in touch with what's going on emotionally. Right. So, and it's not so much that you want to fixate on it. There's a difference between yeah. fixating and identifying. I think fixating is when you can't get past it or you ignore it completely um, and just fail to say that this is a part of you. You know, you have to embrace that it is a part of you. Um, there's still a lot to be learned about pain. I think that's one of the frontiers we really haven't tapped into as much. There's a lot of research going on now about it, though, which is really good uh, about certain different ways in which you approach it, not necessarily that you may treat it differently um, initially, but that in your approach of how to utilize those techniques um, holistically and out, you know, through the lifespan to help make that person have good quality of life as opposed to, you know, feeling isolated and, and painful all the time. But you know, pain is a really difficult one because people don't see that. And you know, I like the invisible, not broken, because really with chronic pain, most people, after a while, people stop listening because it's chronic, you know, and it's like, well, I can't fix it. So it's chronic. So, okay, I know you have pain, but that person is dealing with it day in, day out, day in, day out. And you, and you end up um, being minimized because you don't have anything physical to show for it, you know? So, you know, you're, it's not like you have a cast on your arm and oh my gosh, you know, your poor thing, you have a broken arm or whatever. They don't, people stop feeling um, as empathetic and people, even clinicians tend to dismiss it because they can't fix it. So they dismiss it. And that's really not the right way to go about it. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. The only, I, for me, the only positive about it not being vis visible is that people don't ask me about it all the time. In some ways, you know, it's like we want to be acknowledged that we we are having this experience, but at the same time, maybe not want that to be such a big part of our identity. I mean, people have different opinions on this in terms of identity, and I won't go into it right now. But so if I had a broken arm, anytime I met with uh, someone for the first time, they'd ask me about my broken arm. Actually, I had a broken leg, so I mean, I can think about what this was like. They would ask me about it. And even if it's someone I've known for a long time, someone who knows that I have a broken leg, they saw me again, they would ask about it, 
right? And if someone asked me about my fibromyalgia all the time or asked me about it every time they met me, it could actually be, for me, and really annoying. I don't know about anyone else. Well, and I don't mean that you acknowledge it in the sense that you say something about it or whatever. It's just a level of tolerance that you should expect. Yeah. So I mean that if you have a broken arm, it's going to be a little bit difficult for you to open up the bottle. So be there to help. Or, you know, if you have chronic fatigue or chronic pain, don't be, um, you know, just basically badgering somebody because they don't want to go out that night. Just let it be. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not necessarily talking about the the broken leg, the fibromyalgia, but acknowledging that that person has it and realizing that, oh, they are actually okay. limited. There is, there is a cast on them metaphorically. Mm -hmm. Yes, I actually really like that visual. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that with some people. Um, so you talked about stretching a little bit. I know that you've mentioned to me uh, breathing exercises, strengthening exercises, and even energy conservation. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like those right. examples? So breathing, just the fact of deep breathing and focusing on your breathing itself is relaxation. And it helps you recenter yourself. I mean, they use it a lot in ancient uh, Chinese technique, yoga and all that. But there's a lot of truth to it. Um, it helps you relax your muscles um, and helps relieve your pain that way. Um, it helps you to get better oxygen to your tissues, which is always good. Mm -hmm. um, it serves a lot of good purposes. If you have pulmonary issues, it serves way more because now it's gonna help you expand your lungs and or get rid of the secretions that are in there to prevent infection and whatnot. With um, stretching, again, it, it's really individualized. You gotta be really cautious to overstretch somebody's joint that's already loose or hypermobile. Um, but again, there are usually areas that are tight in, in retrospect to that. So knowing what you can and can't do to stretch. Um, strengthening, I don't know that you necessarily ever need to pick up a weight. You can just simply lift your body weight um, challenge yourself in different ways that you're using gravity for weight. Um, use uh, the, if you go slow, you're going to actually be putting more stress on the joint to strengthen the muscle than if you go fast. Um, focusing on how you do it, that you're using proper technique. Um, I'm a big stickler for if you're going to do it, do it right. Yeah. Um, so why waste your time and do it and you didn't really get anything out of it? Um, let's see, uh, trying to think of the other things you talked about. Oh, energy con con oh, conservation. Energy. Okay. So there's a balance between expending energy and conserving energy. And I think it's finding what is that amount of energy that you have each day and how you're going to allot it and also preparing ahead. So, you know, you, you know, usually what you're going to be doing the next day, even if it means a doctor's appointment and how that may affect your energy. Um, you can modify the day before and allot your time a little bit differently. You can also set yourself up for the next morning so that you're not running around trying to do everything that you could have done the night before and rested on before you have to go ahead. You could spend more time allotting yourself to do these things so that you're not rushing to get somewhere but some of it's just a matter of doing it smart instead of hard. You know, so I think for a lot of people, we, we 
tend to do what we're used to doing. And a lot of times there's another way to do it. One thing I was going to say is there was a woman who was so fixated on cleaning her house. She was in her 40s. She had a lot of chronic disease processes. She had horrible hypermobility. She had um, specialized splints on every joint of her body, literally. Um, and she was fixated on cleaning her house, which looked amazing already. <laughs> but you couldn't convince her otherwise. So we tried to find ways. How could she clean her house without causing so much pain? And so we used her reacher <laughs> and we used that to help her um, clean things from a distance using a cloth on that, as opposed to leaning over and putting all her weight on it and everything. And um, just ergonomically using her body to, to be postured better so that she's not putting as much strain on her neck and her shoulders. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times it's really just a matter of as a clinician, you can step back and you don't, you're not in that place with them. So you can see things a whole lot differently. I mean, you certainly, you have that breadth of knowledge from other people and everything, but a lot of times it's really just a matter of, uh, I can see what the problem is right here. You know, I wouldn't want to do that. So some of it's that, um, but the, the problem with people with chronic illnesses is that a lot of times you, it's good to kind of, instead of giving like just general stuff, I, I, I'm always very nervous about giving you know, we'll do this, do that, you know, because you don't want them to do it wrong. And then, then they get their hands slapped and they don't want to go back and try it again, you know, with the next practitioner. So a lot of people have been through multiple practitioners and they're like, well, this doesn't work. I'm not doing this again. And that that next person maybe could have helped them. You know, so I, I'm always so, hesitant to give um, what you can do, what you can't do, because it, it really is dependent on who you are. You know, are you able to walk around or are you chair bound? Are you um, in chronic pain or are you just really tight? You know, are you, uh, do you have cardiovascular issues and cardiopulmonary issues? That's gonna really impact what we're gonna tell you to do and, and how to know when to, how to moderate your activity level. So movement is good always. The amount of movement and what movement is somewhat dependent on the person and what's appropriate to the person. Um, but if you were walking, you should continue to walk. You know, if, if walking wasn't causing you a problem prior, that should be your activity. Walking is a great activity. And you just, you don't have to do much more than just walk. You can change your speed if you can, whatever, but you don't have to do gym stuff. You don't have to have special equipment. You know, you could use a gallon jug for weight or a can for weight. There's so many different ways you can go about it. Um, economically. Yeah, that's for sure. I'm a big proponent of body weight workouts as well. I know it's not as easy for certain people, but you have a body that has a lot of weight. If you maneuver yourself correctly, you can use your weight to your advantage instead of dumbbells. Um, I, I mean, I do that all the time. When it comes to movement for me, I mean, it's, it's absolutely imperative to my being able to manage my pain, but there is a sweet spot. If I don't do it for even less than a week, it could be like five days, I feel it. Like it's a big, it'll take a big toll on my body. But if I do it too much or do a certain thing too much, that also is going to throw me off. So right. I always need to be physical. I always need to, you know, quote unquote, work out in some way. But I got to listen to my body and listen to also what my practitioners say and only do what makes, self, makes sense in the realm of my life. 
And it doesn't have to be a formal exercise program. For some people, making their bed is enough. Yeah. That's an exercise. You know, because what's the whole purpose of exercise? The exercise is to help you do what you need to do better. So you can still do what we call um, functionally based activities, which is do the activity that you're having difficulty with till you get better at it. You know, so if you're having trouble reaching up overhead, but you are allowed to, or that's not contraindicated, work on reaching up overhead. Put it, put a cup here, put it here, put it here, you know, put it, put it up further and further until you can get to where you need it to be and then try to do it repeatedly, you know, so it doesn't have to be um, structured in the sense that somebody has to give you something to do. Most people know what they can't do and what their problem is. They just need to work on being able to do it better. Yeah. Knowing, and also maybe just knowing what they can do in general. Uh, and just, well, and also too, accepting this is what I can do. And now you use the energy conservation and the work simplification say, okay, well, I can't do it that way. I can do it. I have to find a different way to do it. So how can I do it? Okay, well, maybe I'll break it up into multiple times during the day instead of all at once. Maybe I will um, make sure I'm doing it at the time of the day I've got the most energy um, and my pain's best controlled. Maybe I'll do it 45 minutes after my medication because that's going to be my peak of effectiveness. So it's, it's sometimes it's how you do it, not what you do. So unfortunately, we got to wrap up now, but I would, it would be great if you could uh, impart just a few last words of wisdom and maybe even um, leave us with one practice that you do feel would work for anybody, something that they could apply to themselves. Okay. Um, well, I think one thing I would like people to take home is you have to find that marriage between yourself and your practitioner, no matter who they are, you know, whether they're a mental health counselor or whether they're a physical counselor of some sort or practitioner, they need to hear you. And if they're not hearing you, they're not the right person for you. And you have to have that dialogue between the two of you, because like I said, a lot of what you tell us is how we find out what's going on. And if you don't feel comfortable to tell us, we're going to miss something. So that would be my takeaway is, and I'm not saying that I'm the right one for everybody. I'm just saying that you, there are people out there who care about you as a person, not you as a number. And today's day and age, things are very tight in terms of time for clinicians. So being prepared to come in with what you need to tell about is really important, um, especially for the physicians who only have maybe 10 minutes. Um, so having your litany of questions that you want to bring up and having a, having just a session that I want to talk about my questions, that's okay. Um, in terms of takeaway of activity, I would say if you were doing it before COVID and it was working, you should be continuing to do it at COVID, during COVID. Um, you can modify it if it's a matter of uh, you were going to the gym or you were going out into the park. Um, you can still walk around the neighborhood, just keep your distance from other people. Um, if you are able to breathe, everybody's able to breathe, I should say. Everybody's able to breathe. And I think, you know, breathing is underrated. Um, not just because I do a lot of pulmonary, but breathing is underrated. I mean, they use it in mental health. They use it in physical health. They use it in just about everything that you can think of. And so even if it's just taking five minutes and closing your eyes, and just concentrating on your breathing. It's gonna relax you, it's gonna bring your blood pressure down, 
um, it's physiologic changes are going to occur. And I don't know anybody who's not supposed to breathe. <laughs> so that's a safe one. <laughs> Good point. And I, I mean, amen to both of those things for sure. I definitely work on deep breathing myself. Um, and even though I try to do meditation, deep breathing and just like literally taking consciously deep breaths. I don't know if people understand what deep breathing really means, but um, you, you can define better than I can. Okay, so so it's not even deep breathing, it's just consciously breathing. So right. it's taking the air in and trying to fill your lungs and visualizing filling your lungs up and then just letting it slowly exhale because uh, exhalation is passive. It's just the recoil of your muscles. So you don't have to force it, but it's just working on visualizing that air coming in and your focus is on what you're doing. It's, it's being mindful, which is a lot of psychology talks about being mindful and in the present. And in the present, all you're trying to work on is breathing. And so by working on the aspect of paying attention to what you're doing, you're doing all the things that you need to do as far as relaxation and you know that sort of stuff. And you're getting more air in, which is good because a lot of times when we get anxious, we don't breathe as well. You know, we start to get tense and we start getting uh, shorter breath and that brings anxiety as well. Um, you feel tighter and you, you're not getting as much oxygen. Ooh. I was like, for some reason, I was deep breathing sort of during that. And then I started holding my breath. And it's weird, the things that we do subconsciously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, Jay, thank you so much for coming on today. This was uh, really helpful in coming from someone who, well, has, has shown that you can make physical uh, treatments and uh, support work through telemedicine, which a lot of people are just starting to understand now and also how we can take advantage of what we do have and not focus on necessarily what we don't have right now. So thank you. You're welcome. They're really lovely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Human Care Podcast, part of the Invisible Not Broken Podcast Network. If you haven't already, please take the next 30 seconds to do these three things hit our subscribe button, leave feedback with a review, and share this episode with a loved one. Don't forget to check out our official Invisible Not Broken Network Facebook group. Please join us in our community conversations where you can ask questions, connect with fellow Invisible Illness peers, and make suggestions for the podcast. Visit facebook.com slash groups slash Invisible Not Broken. And this link will, of course, be in the show notes. Also, if you ever want to submit a question or suggestion directly, feel free to send an email to chronicillnesspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for tuning in and being part of our mission to transform healthcare into human care.